G'day and welcome to the Pursuit of Freedom podcast. I'm your host, Rosie Burrows, and I'm on a journey to find my freedom so that I can help you do exactly the same. Join me each week as I share the stories of everyday people who have found their own path to freedom. I'm not going to focus on job titles and accolades because I don't care about that stuff and neither should you. I want to uncover what truly makes you tick. Who are you when you step away from society's expectations and follow your heart? I still haven't figured it out yet. Have you? Either way, buckle up because it's going to be one hell of a ride. Joining me today is the amazing Jennifer Battle. Jennifer is a business community leader, speaker, coach, connection queen, and host of the Unfuckwithable podcast. She's created a life she loves through giving the middle finger to the status quo and relentlessly breaking cultural norms. (laughs) Jennifer is wholeheartedly dedicated to helping others learn to do the same, and I can't wait to dive into today's episode. Jennifer, welcome. Thank you so much. I've been looking forward to this conversation for a long time. And um, I think we're kindred spirits. I can't wait to just just chat with you. Oh, me too. This is going to be great. I think the hardest thing will be keeping to the time limit, right? <laughs> oh, Now, before we dive into the nitty gritty, I've kind of talked about the what you do But can we dive into who you are? If we go way back, who would you say you are? Mm, Well, this is a really good question. Most people don't believe this about me, but I was an incredibly shy kid, like incredibly shy, did not speak to people. I went to a private Christian school. We weren't allowed to speak during lunch. I mean, you'd get in trouble if you actually said anything. Uh, So I'd say I'm someone who grew up with a lot of rules, a lot of things like this is how you should live. This is how you should do this. Uh And, you know, I had a lot of rules from my family, from the church, from my school. And so I grew up with a lot of expectations of myself because I wanted to be the good little girl who followed all the rules. And uh, so I worked hard. I did great things in school. I went to, you know, I got my undergrad. I got my master's degree. I married the, you know, perfect guy on paper. And I had a nice house and I did all those things. Things, and I realized, oh my gosh, I hate my life. I'm not happy. And it had nothing to do with the other individual. It was just that I looked around and I was like, this is not my life. It didn't feel like anything like me. But the challenge was that I didn't know what me was because I'd spent all this time doing what everyone told me I should do. So I like to think that these last several years have been figuring out myself, and then also questioning all these rules that we've always had for ourselves. So I am all about, that's why I guess I get really excited on my own podcast and in the work that I do with breaking the rules or at least challenging them. So it's not so much I just want to break the rules to break them, (laughs) but a lot of times we are blindly following a path Mm -hmm. and we're like, wait a second, is this even what I want? Is this even what I believe? Mm -hmm. Um, Success is a a great example of that. I mean, we've been told success looks like a big house and fancy cars and a nice wardrobe and um, home edit coming to our house and doing our closets, although I do love home edit. Um, But in reality, it's like, if if I ask people, it's like, oh, if they could do anything right now, the answers are so diverse. Mm -hmm. And so I really love to 
dive deeper and ask myself and others the question is like, is this what you really want? What really feels good? Is this true? Or is this just something that someone else told you to do? So yeah, that's my life lately has been just really um, leaning into my, my intuition and my self trust. And I love it. It feels really good. I think so many of us can resonate with that, you know, kind of being stuck in a life and we've we wake up one day and go, oh, is this is this all there is? Like, is this really me? But how did you start the process of figuring out who you are and what you want? I think that's a big roadblock for a lot of us. Oh, I would love to say it was super pretty. It was ugly. <laughs> it was ugly as hell. Um, well, for me, it was like starting by peeling off the layers I knew didn't fit. Mm-hmm. And that can be hard. And for me... And I'm not recommending everybody go and do this, so don't tell me all you guys got divorce lawyers. But um, I, my first husband and I weren't a good fit because realistically, he was a great person. He was a great dad. We wanted very different things, and I was starting to discover that. Um, so uh, also with my job, um, there were things that I, I was very good at my job. I, I, was, I succeeded at my job. But it's not the thing that made me excited or, you know, it was definitely I had a, what do we call it, case of the Mondays where you're like, oh, I got to go back to work. And so I started supplementing my job with things that I really enjoyed, like exercise and fitness. And then I started meeting people who were in, you know, aligned with some of the things that I enjoyed. Um, I started to change my circle up a little bit. And it's those little baby steps that eventually led to me years later, starting my own fitness coaching business, Um, surrounding myself with people who are still like, oh, my best friends to this day. And so a lot of times we think we're going to have to like jump in and do this big drastic change. But I really like the, the analogy of like a little onion, like you peel off a little piece here, you peel off a little piece there, you peel off. And so I had to slowly peel off and I still think I'm peeling. I I think it's more of a journey, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. recently I did some big changes, but, (laughs) um, you know, I, I really do think it is, um, a gradual question and, and just start to take out the things that don't fit and then start to put the things that do back in your life. That's such an important point because I think many of us, for some reason, think we need to figure it out and land on the right thing straight away. But like you said, it's a journey. And I know for you, your career path has had so many twists and turns, like you've been a scientist, a recruiter, you know, personal trainer, bodybuilder, online coach. So how did you navigate that? And do you think there is a common thread there? There's absolutely a common thread. And how did I navigate it? I think that goes back into the leaning in piece. And this was a huge, tough, difficult thing for me to do because one of the big messages that I'd received in my life was all about stability. You know, that success meant staying in a career and growing and having a stable, stable this and stable meant like insurance and and these types of things. And I realized it's like everything that was stable, or at least, I, mean, I don't want to say everything that was stable, but staying safe and stable was just not who I was. And so I do think it was important for me to try things on. So that's why I got to try on all these different things. And each piece of those things helped me learn about myself. And I found joy in it. 
So I love to exercise. I love health and fitness. So would I be a professional bodybuilder? No, but for a couple of years, I was a really great amateur bodybuilder and I got to wear cute sparkly bikinis and (laughs) high heels and all that stuff. And don't try to look me up because I competed under a different name. (laughs) 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 That was done on purpose. Um, (laughs) Yeah, you never want your kids' friends coming up and be like, I saw your mom on the internet. (laughs) Yeah, let's not do that. (laughs) But yeah, personal training was an extension of that. But I think the three, the themes that have been consistent throughout everything that I've done and likely everything that I will ever do are connection. Like I love building community, talking to people, um, engaging with people in a real way. And as a coach and personal trainer, that happens all the time. I also, uh, in- equity and inclusion. So doing things that allow us to be around a lot of different types of people and ideas and being in inclusive environments are huge for me. And the final thing is just being really bold and really authentic. So that bold authenticity. So most people will know that they'll, if they had to describe me, they will say Jennifer's pretty direct. And, <laughs> yeah. you know, I'm not afraid to ask hard questions. And that's served me well when I was a, uh, you know, as I do strategy now, but even when I was a strategist in my previous career, and I'm not afraid to just like say it like it is. I mean, the name of my podcast is Unfuckwithable. So there's a bit of boldness <laughs> there. I think those th- three things are more core values and will always stay consistent mm. in all the work that I do. But it was a huge, huge thing for me to accept that I'm never going to be the kind of person who does the same thing for ever and ever and ever. It's just not who I am. I will continue to evolve. I will continue to try new things because I think that's the, that the, for me, that's the fun part of life. Now I don't think everybody else is like that and that's okay because we are all different and it's more important for me to understand what really lights me up. Right. Yeah. And I think a huge part of discovering who you are is finding your voice Like for you, it sounds like you had a fairly conservative upbringing and there's rules and norms and you kind of followed that for a bit. But then like now you have totally found your voice. Well, I think so. I don't know if you agree with that. So what do you think about comfort zones? Because I feel like that transition requires you to step out of your comfort zone a little bit? Ooh, comfort zone. That's such a great question because my immediate response is there's nothing wrong with being comfortable. I think the challenge is that most of us are uncomfortable and we don't even know what our comfort zones are. You know, I think we are living someone else's life. We're doing someone else's dream. Uh And so I feel very comfortable now, but Mm. in what I understand, I think your question is, but to get from where I was to where I am now, it was a challenge because I had to truly believe in myself because a lot of other people never got it. They didn't get it. They're like, well, why? I remember when I put in my notice at my six figure job working in higher education, where I was a director of something. I remember people coming up to me like, are you crazy? Like, why would you leave that? And then I told them what I was going to do, which was transitioning into fitness. And they're like, can you even make money from that? <laughs> I mean, it freaked people out. Some of the people in my family are like, what are you, you going to do? Oh my gosh, you don't have a 401k, which in the United States, our retirement plan. Oh my mm-hmm. goodness. Ah. 
And it's, it was more, I had to be comfortable being okay that no, not everybody was going to get it. When I um, ended my first marriage, people kept saying, Oh, did someone cheat? Like what happened? And I'm like, no, it just, I can't explain it to you. It just wasn't right. Mm. And so it, a lot of the times after I'm cool with myself and I'm comfortable with myself, the discomfort actually comes from the reactions of other people. Mm. But I've had to build the muscle that I know myself and I'm the best judge for the things that I do because ultimately I'm the one who has to live with it. Right. Right. I'm the one who has to enjoy it or (laughs) make the mistake or do whatever. Um, But yeah, I think a lot of times we get so wrapped up in other people's ideas or opinions Mm. of, of us that we forget that we are our best, you know, teacher, we're our best lead. We're our best mentor. We just have to learn how to trust ourselves. Mm. I love your perspective on this comfort zone thing. That's actually something that's not something I have ever considered, but I think you're right. And maybe it's more about having the courage to trust yourself and move towards that more, you know, alignment. And I guess alignment is you're feeling comfortable with yourself. That's something I believe. I got a tattoo on my arm that says stay true because it's so important for me to be honest with myself and stay true to who I am because I'm I would say I have been a chronic people pleaser for a lot of my life and that often results with straying from who I truly am and my core values and it's a lesson I am constantly unlearning relearning you know it's just on and on and on so I love, you know, I love that so much. Let me take it a step further because I think there are a lot of us who say we're people pleasers. Yeah. And I think there's more to it than that. I mean, Uh if you think about cultural culture and society and culture and society are going to be different things to different people, no matter who's listening around the world, but we we're conditioned. There's a Mm -hmm. condition of this is how it should go. So we are then taught words and phrases like people-pleasing and imposter syndrome. And I don't even know if those are things. I think we are, as a culture and society, all told to go a certain way. And there are rules or reactions or whatever that happen when people start to stray, right? They start to like move away from the pack. I think of like goats being herded in one direction and you've got one that wants to stray and then the crack the whip. And it's going to make you feel bad if you start to do things that are outside the norm. So I, I want to challenge people to think, to think about whether there's something wrong with them or if the rules in the world is meant for us to all go this certain way and anybody else is going outside of the norm is somehow labeled differently. So I always joke around. I told my my friend and one of my mentors, I'm like, if I could count the number of times someone called me crazy, I would have a million (laughs) dollars because apparently I'm fucking certifiable. Okay. For all the stuff that I do. Um, Brave is a better word. Yeah, I agree. um, And, you know, maybe people pleasing for you or for other listeners was just, hey, I want to not be reprimanded for being Mm. the stray goat. (laughs) Or imposter syndrome, um, Reshma Sonjani, who is the the leader or the founder of Girls Who Code, and she's done some great things. She had this awesome, awesome Smith College 
um, commencement speech that talked about how imposter syndrome isn't real. It is a term that people are telling, particularly women, that, oh, you don't feel like you can do it. Did you ever notice, like, men never get told that right, they have imposter right. syndrome? Uh-huh. But yet, here's a, here are all of us who are doing these things that are cool and brave, but we feel bad. Therefore, oh, it's imposter syndrome. You don't think you... I just think the, she 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 talked about that terms like that, and we've had terms like that throughout history, are really just meant to make us feel less than and keep us mm. from being the big, bold, brave, crazy people <laughs> that we are. And so I, yeah. I've always loved that speech and I will always reference that because I'm just like, oh, yes, girl. Yes. Yeah, that's amazing. I will definitely be looking that up later today. I want to go to something you said when we first met because I think it's relevant to the conversation we're having. You were saying one of your favorite questions is who benefits? So can you tell us a bit more about that? Why is that question so yeah. powerful? Yeah, I think um, I, I, I'll speak for myself and I'm mm. going to guess that other listeners have had this experience. So when I was in the middle of my goody two-shoes phase, which was several decades of my <laughs> life, you know, I was, you know, making all these decisions and choices and inside there was always that nagging feeling like, I don't know if I really want to do this or this is not to be good, great, but everyone else is saying, no, this is amazing. You should go forward. And now when I have those times or when I might be conflicted, I will say, who really benefits from this? Because oftentimes it's not me, but everyone is providing advice because the benefit is either to the norm or it benefits someone else or whatever. And so I have to ask myself when I'm making decisions, like who is actually benefiting from this? Hmm. And if we just actually considered whether we are actually benefiting from these decisions and actions, we might move in a different direction. Mm, So true. And speaking of decisions, this is a nice segue. I've been listening to your podcast and you have an episode about how we make decisions. I'll use your words. I'm quoting this. You've said the existing normal decision-making paradigm, so how we make decisions, it's not working. Mm -hmm. So how how can we better navigate decision-making? Yeah, I think this is one of those things by it's it's a bit of my way of it's challenging what we're taught. So uh, I actually so I have an MBA and I also have a really cool certificate Mm -hmm. uh, that's about (laughs) building great teams. So um, in theory, I'm like a business and Uh team person and all of that stuff. And I remember in those experiences and those educational experiences, we went through these, like, how do we make great decisions? And it's like, oh, well, first we have the problem and we have options and we we get input and feedback and there's all this step by step. And I think it completely ignores the human side of everything. I'm like, if I was a robot or an AI what do you call it? It's not a machine, but an AI artificial intelligence Mm. thing. (laughs) Maybe that's how it would work. But as I've worked with women and leaders, and as I've talked with people, what becomes really clear is you can say you're doing all that stuff, but if you start from a place of being exhausted or confused or overworked, there's no way the rest of the process is going to work. Mm -hmm. So I like to challenge the current way we make decisions and start with the humanity of it. So if 
you're trying to decide, this is a great example. <laughs> I'll use myself. Um, I've recently moved across the country, across the United States, and I, I live in Las Vegas, Nevada. And um, I was knew I wanted to move. So I was trying to decide where to live. So the old way would have said, okay, make a list and pros and cons and evaluate and blah, blah, blah. And I did those things. And I remember starting to visit cities. I would walk into the city that would be at the top of my list. And I get off the plane like, nope, this is not it. And I remember feeling so like frustrated because I'm like, I got to find a place to live. I have to find a place to live until I had a great conversation with my friend. She's like, Jennifer, calm down. You're going to live somewhere. So between my experience with her and some other, um, mentorship experience that I had is like the very first step for me and for a lot of people is to calm down and rest Mm -hmm. and relax and not try to figure it out. I mean, sometimes decision-making is, is less active than we have learned for it to be. The other thing is we have to learn how to hone our creativity. So it's not like, uh, sometimes when you think you only have two options, like for me, don't ask me why. I will not break out my spreadsheet. But I was between Nashville, Tennessee, which, you know, your international audience. So this is a music capital of the world. And then Houston, Texas, which is where a lot of my family was. Mm-hmm. So I couldn't see past those two options. And so one of the things I've learned about being creative is sometimes when you feel like so stuck between two options, it means that you need to activate creativity because there's always more than A or B. There's always something in between that or around it. Mm -hmm. And it was interesting because I then just released this. It has to be Nashville or Houston. I have to make a decision. And sure enough, weird opportunities or ideas started to pop in. And I ended up having a conversation with someone who suggested Las Vegas, Nevada. And I'm sitting here like Vegas. I mean, I've been to Vegas to gamble and to hang out, but you know. So rest, creativity, And then understanding what and why is important and forget the how. Mm. So I did that and I realized what was important was that I felt creative and I was in a warm place with great people. And it was important because that's how I felt the best. That was the why. So I have all of these things kind of lining up and then I just had to go with my gut. I ended up just like, you know what? I'm going to go fly to Vegas. And as soon as I got the plane there, I'm like, this feels like home. So it's that self-trust and intuition. Now I didn't learn any of that shit in a business course or in my MBA, but for the people that I have worked with who approach big choices, next steps and decisions in a way that honors the rest and stokes their creativity and helps them understand the what and the why, and then, um, how, utilizes their intuition and self-trust, those are the decisions they feel really, really great about. The other ones, honestly, are kind of like, I hope it works. (laughs) (laughs) And and then you pray to God over the next three to six months that everything's going to be okay. So that's what I meant by changing the way we make decisions. I just think there's a whole different approach that we could use that honors who we are as people and also engages our own inside knowledge. Mm love that you know focusing on the what and the why I feel like we can get so bogged down in the how and we talk ourselves out of doing something before we've even given our chance given ourselves a chance to do it and it's 
It's heartbreaking, <laughs> actually. And I know for me, a recent big decision I made is to move into my van full time. For probably 10 years, I have been ignoring or fighting the voice in my head that's like, I just want to do this. It feels right. I was like, no, I can't do that. It's too difficult. How am I going to afford it? How am I going to earn money? And then one day I just went, fuck it. This is what I want to do. And I want to do it because I, I think it will give me a sense of freedom. It will give me a life where I can travel around, enjoy nature. And I just bloody made it happen wasn't easy. Oh, no, of course not. And, and you're so right in the fact that sometimes we talk ourselves out of things. But if, in that story, the what was going to your van, moving into your van. And the why was like, because this is what makes me feel good. I mm. want to be around nature. I want to. And once you were like, you know what, I'm going to do this, the how appears, it comes. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times, I think it's because now we can see exactly what we want. When I said I was going to move to Vegas, did I know exactly how this was going to work out or when? People would ask me, and I'm like, ah, sometime in the fall. Yeah, yeah. And um, and but I was so clear on what it was and why it was important that all these crazy things just started. I shouldn't say crazy, right? Mm-hmm. All these things that just started to like swirl around, and it and it happened, and it happened in such a great way. So. It's hard for us who've been taught, like, we have to have steps one, two, three, four, and five, but that is not how life works. It really, really isn't. And I bet you, if you were to go back to some of your favorite experiences or your favorite or best decisions in life and trace back how you got there, I guarantee it it would not be this, like, very structured decision-making process. It would have been like, you felt it. It felt good things started to rally around you and things went in that direction. You trusted yourself. Mm. And so uh, that's what I, I really want people to understand that. I, I totally agree. And this trusting yourself piece is so important. We are emotional beings, right? We're not machines, yet we're taught to think very logically. But one thing I've realized in life is that when I put myself first, or another way of saying that is trust myself, Amazing things seem to happen. These opportunities just seem to come my way. Have you had a similar experience? Sure. I mean, I I always jokingly say, on paper, there's no way I should be able to feed myself or pay for anything, Uh right? Uh Because everything that I've been told, which helps make money and all this stuff, I just don't do anymore, right? Uh So starting my business was absolutely a leap of faith in myself. And leaving a six-figure job because I just knew that I couldn't step into the human that I wanted to be when I was still had one foot in this person that I knew I wasn't anymore. So I had to let that go. Some people would have said, oh, you should gradually and, you know, step by step. But for me, that wasn't an option and I just had to trust my gut. And I went from a six-figure job to an hourly job and running a business. But yet, I always had enough. I had more than enough. And my business really grew when it really shouldn't have. Like, I'm, <laughs> I'm honestly, most people, and Jimmy, just give you some business advice. Like, your first five years are probably going to be a struggle, right? But for me, things started to happen. And I just started moving in that direction and saying, I think this is what I need to do. Mm. And then at the time, pre-pandemic, uh, you know, 
pandemic was awful. So I just want to say that before y'all at me and start sending me hate mail. (laughs) But for my business, it happened to be I had set up my entire online fitness infrastructure prior to the pandemic. I had been really going out there and doing PR because that was something that I felt really led to do when I invested in it when there was no obvious return. And I invested in it in March of 2020. So as the opportunity started to drop in March, April, and May, as a virtual fitness coach, I was inundated with clients. So things that on the surface should never have worked out, worked out really well. I, I made, I did very well. I served many clients. I had to hire six new contractors because I couldn't handle the volume myself. So sometimes it's like, you may not see the logical steps, but if you trust in yourself and trust your intuition, if things can pop off, because you have to remember, you don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. Now, what do I wish my business success was not the result of a horrible worldwide pandemic? Absolutely. It was a horrible time in a lot of other areas. But all I'm saying is that we, we are told to do all this planning, but there's nothing. We don't know what tomorrow's going to be like. So you have to just lean into what you think is right, what feels good, what your gut tells you, because there is something really smart and intelligent about your own intuition. We've both mentioned this shit isn't easy. So when it gets tough, how do you see it through? Do you have any tips or advice on that? I do think the personal development side is critical. It's not easy. It's not easy because 90, not 90%, I'm just throwing out numbers, but many times people are telling you you're wrong. Mm. And you know, we're human. I do care. I do care what people think. I want my family and friends to be excited and proud of me. And when I feel like I'm fighting an uphill battle all the time. So personal development is important and community is important. And the personal development part, um, a huge part of my investments over the years are not necessarily about like business coaching or, you know, marketing. It's investment in support. So helping people help me be a better human, um, helping me process feelings, therapy. I'm a huge advocate of therapists and therapy. Y'all saved my life many times. And because there's a lot of things that we have to work through or get over. And I always say entrepreneurship, it's not for the faint of heart. And if you want to bring up every past wound trauma you've ever had, start a business (laughs) (laughs) because it all comes up. So there's a lot of the personal development and support that is so critical for me just to be able to hang in there. But also it's those types of things that help me thrive as well um, and make help me feel more confident. The community part is equally as important because just surrounding yourself with people who think a little bit like you or who challenge you or who ask you the tough questions and still like love you and support you and care about you is important. Because again, when you're doing hard things, the last thing you want to feel is alone because there's no upside in being alone and doing scary things and working hard. But when you're surrounded by people who are like, have your back, who ask you good questions, who, when you have a loss and they're like, Hey, but you got out there. Good job, Jennifer. And that kind of thing who give you feedback. Mm. I I'm very um, fortunate to 
you know, I recently closed my business community. However, the people inside that group are still some of the tightest people that I have relationships with. And I know that we, we will always continue to lean on each other for business advice, personal advice, sending really ridiculous and appropriate memes to each other. We need to laugh. And, and the community aspect is, is, is the fun part. And so personal development and community, that's absolutely what keeps me going when it gets hard and, and when it's fun too. Right. Yeah. And let's talk about networking. Because <laughs> as I've, I did my MBA too, and a message that was mm-hmm. constantly drummed into me is your network is your net worth. And I mm-hmm. hate networking. I just, oh, the thought of it just makes me, ugh. So what do you think about networking and how is it different to community? Yeah, I think networking is one of those ideas that started off as a fabulous idea. Mm-hmm. Yet in practice, we've totally ruined. (laughs) So I will say like, I typically use the term traditional networking Mm. because on the, on the basics, I don't feel networking is horrible. However, the traditional networking, like, Hey, we're going to go to an event. There's going to be stale cookies and punch. We've all got our business cards. Uh You know, we're, we're like forcing business cards down each other's throat. Nobody's really listening. We're all giving our little 10 second commercials. And then afterwards you have a whole stack of cards and then you follow up and call and harass people. That doesn't build anything. The concept of creating community, however, I love. And I was talking the other day to a friend and I started thinking like where we are evolving, especially in entrepreneurship and but also just as humans, we've gone from this idea of quantity to quality to intimacy. Mm. And what I mean by that is first, like, do you remember the whole 10,000 swipes thing or 10,000 followers on, mm. on Instagram mm. would give you the swipe up. So everybody was like more, more, more <laughs> yeah. and bigger audiences and bigger email lists. And even in networking, it's like more cards, more uh-huh. people in your network. And that's quantity. Quantity doesn't give you results. Quantity, like if I need to, in, so in my previous job, I had to do a lot of stuff without any positional power. So I'm working across departments and people, and I knew a lot of people, but it was the relationships and the deep connection that I had with the individuals that, and I didn't do it because I, I, I wanted something. I did it because I like people and I wanted to, mm-hmm. I wanted to, um, if I was in in an academic community, I wanted to be in the community. But one of the benefits to that was that I always knew what was going on at every level of the organization, mm-hmm. which made me invaluable, which made me understand how to message things or how to, you know, put proposals forward because I knew who had issues with what what they wanted to achieve. I do think community is way more important. So there's a quantity piece. So then we do go to quality. Everybody now is relationships, 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 and let's do relationships. But it's still kind of like, but I still want something from you. So it's like, it's still transactional. Uh So it's like, yeah, you might take me to dinner. We have, we go to a game. I remember um, growing up, my dad's company always had tickets. Mm. So, and when they couldn't go, we went. So I've seen a lot of games, (laughs) (laughs) but, um, you know, that's still transactional, right? That's really not the way to build like the, the, the essence of what you really need in these deep, connected, trusting relationships. 
So I think the real thing that we're trying to get to now is intimacy. Mm -hmm. So when I say the word intimacy, that's not just like, I know you. That's like, I know you. You (laughs) It's like, we know each other. You care about me. I care about what's going on in your life. And I think the key is, which I think is the hardest part for all the gurus out there who talk about networking, is you have to do it with no expectations. You actually have to care about people. Mm-hmm. So that would be like intimacy would be like sharing core values. Well, you yeah, you got to really know people to know what their core values are. Yeah. Asking questions, spending time. Intimacy is also a long game. Right. You and I aren't going to go from zero to intimate in five seconds no. or in a business card exchange. That might just be the first step in connecting. So when I talk to people, and I often give this talk about connection, or building connection for impact, I provide people ways to create that quality and intimacy that truly creates these communities and connections that make a difference and that you can really call upon. Because in reality, it's like we're told like, oh, if you want to change a law, write your congressperson. That's not how it really works. Mm. If you want to change a law in this place, you need lobbyists, money, you know, contribute to their super PAC and blah, blah, blah. There's a, we're told that this is the way the world works, but in reality, it's not the way the world works. You really have to tap in to your communities and influence, but the communities and influence are not created from networking. They're created from intimacy and care. I will go to bat for you, Rosie, because we have a real connection. Mm. I care about you. I want to see you win. We share the same values. I know by you succeeding, my, you know, the life that I want to create and the future I want to create will also be great. That's why I want to help you. Yeah. Not because you give me something. No, the real hard, difficult changes happen when you have these close, intimate real relationships with people. So that's why I sometimes I'm like anti-networking because a lot of times when people talk about networking is that very transactional piece that I think is, is, is futile. That's not really how the world works. Totally agree. And what you said about, you know, developing that intimacy with connections is a long game. That is so true. I'm just, it made me think of an example in my life recently is there was a professor at the university I I was studying at and I just thought she was so cool. I'm like, she's such a powerful woman and had similar values, had done amazing, really meaningful things. I'm like, I need to get to know this person. Like I had no expectation or thoughts of what I'm going to get from her other than this person is amazing. Over two years, you know, we kept getting to know each other And guess what happened from that? I got a job because of my connection with her as a course coordinator in a master's program and I didn't have a PhD, which is really unusual in academia, right? And that came from this intimate relationship. Blows my mind. Right. It's so... I love it. Like going back to what you said, your net worth is in your network. See, it's not untrue, Mm. but... But you know what I mean? Yeah. The way that we go about creating a network. And I, I like the word community a lot better because I think that means something different. Like there are a whole bunch of people I know, but not all those people are my, my people, you know, my people. And so 
I do believe that you have a lot of value in your community, but you have to understand that your network is not just a whole bunch of randos. Mm. There are people (laughs) that, you you know, you actually build real deep, meaningful relationships with. Absolutely. I love your take on it. And I am such a huge advocate for community. Like it's, it's the way to go. Absolutely. I, it's, it's just amazing. And I'm working on developing my, you know, my community and finding my people, which is a process, right? Some people I'm like, I, you know, I, you're not my person. (laughs) Like, Nice to meet you. See you later. I'm not going to say, oh, let's catch up for coffee which is something that always seems to happen in traditional networking. Oh my goodness. Did you listen to my last talk? I <laughs> Let's move back to something you were saying earlier. You were talking about leaning into our creativity and I agree with you, but almost everybody I talk to goes, oh, I'm not creative. What do you have to say to those people? Yeah, I used to say that myself. And that's because I think we all describe creativity as like being artsy and and like dancing and poetry. And I had someone reframe it for me. And it was more like the right brain. Mm -hmm. So the left brain is like all the logic and all of the, you know, the data and analysis. And and that's important too. Mm-hmm. I mean, we, we definitely want those things. Like when we're doing complex tasks, I want my doctor to be using logic right, and right. stuff like that. But there's this other part that is so knowledgeable and cool. And that's that creative side, that right brain. And yet I think particularly, and I work with a lot of women, I think we're highly discouraged from using those parts of us. And I think that's where intuition and knowing and comes from. What I've learned is that there are ways for us to unlock the creative or the other side of our brain, because logic would have told me Las Vegas was a terrible idea. But my creative brain, the knowing, there was a knowing that it had that it doesn't get to, it's got to bust through that logic part to be like, hey, I'm here. Yeah, I'm here. Listen to me. And I remember doing um, a guided visualization, which I am so not woo, or at least I didn't used to be. I'm not necessarily someone who's like meditating every day. Maybe I should do more of that. I don't know. (laughs) But I, I remember doing a guided visualization and it just was a method to unlock that side. So we weren't chanting, but it's like she just told a story and she asked questions in the story And that story helped me understand that a place like, I I remember in the story, I was in a place with mountains and desert and, and pretty plants and it was warm. I was wearing shorts and I wanted to explore it. And I feel like in my brain, my brain knew that Las Vegas or a place like Las Vegas was perfect for me, but the logical side says that's too far. Yeah. Or you know, you don't know anybody there or you don't have family. And so one of the things that I've learned are there's so many things we can do to let the other very wise part of our brain um, have a, have a say. Mm -hmm. And it could be things like music or dancing or just, you know, whatever you feel like, whatever makes you feel relaxed visualization, meditation. Some people like draw pictures. I don't know. For me, it is music and it's feeling rested and fun. And I do do some of those guided visualizations Mm. because it's so weird how just 
shutting off that logic part and letting the other side shine through can give you answers that are equally as powerful. Mm. Yeah, I'm just absorbing that. I think it's it's so true. Creativity, in fact, is one of my core values. But let's talk about rest. Ooh, I yeah. feel like rest is not something that's encouraged or seen as acceptable, especially for women. What are your thoughts mm. on rest? And especially in Western cultures right. where productivity. Right. You know, this is one of those things where I feel like culturally that we are conditioned to feed the machine. Mm. You know, and the machine might be like money or capitalism or production. But once again, it doesn't serve anybody, not especially not women, but honestly, not anybody. Mm. Because if you really want me to be productive, let me rest. (laughs) Um, And rest isn't just sleep. Rest is, um, cannot remember the name of the woman who wrote the book on rest, the seven different types of rest. Go listen to Jennifer's Um, podcast. It's in there. It is. Thank you. I see. I remembered it. Back. Um, but also there's rest as resistance. And that's another great book. But rest really is like taking that time for yourself to turn off all the stuff. So there's like emotional rest. There's a I'm going to call it tech rest. I know that's not exactly the term that was used in the book, but think about all like the notifications and the blings mm. and the blooms and the bloops. And, you know, we both have dogs while we're recording. Yeah. So I have yappy dogs in the background. My cell phone is, you know, pinging and, uh-huh. uh, you know, and that does something to you. You also physically, you know, many times we're burning the candle at both ends, which I know in Western culture, sometimes is seen as a badge of honor, Mm. but now it's like, well, that's just dumb. (laughs) It is. Why am I wearing myself out? Um, You know, emotional rest, like there are things that we're all dealing with that are difficult and sometimes you need a break. And so I think rest is the precursor to anything good. Mm. I really believe that because there's no way that, you, you know, whatever life you want, whatever joyful life, whatever your dream life is, you're not doing it from a place of grind. No matter what anybody tells you, you have to have the foundation of rest and have your, you know, neuro, whatever. I'm not a doctor. And I know <laughs> someone's going someone's to be like, oh, your neuropathic membrane, whatever. But all I'm saying is like, um, sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous system. That's what I was trying to think. Um, you, it needs to, you need to be at a place of rest and calm. And from there, that's when you can tap into your creativity. That's when you feel really certain about your self-trust. That's when you can answer the questions on what and why is important, but you can't do it from a place of panic or tiredness or exhaustion or, you know, overproductive, overproductivity. You have to start from a foundation of rest. Yeah. And be kind to yourself. Oh, like why, yes. why are we trying to hurt ourselves so much? Like I, I like myself and I'd like to be around and enjoy myself oh. and enjoy every single day as much as possible. And I can only do that if I'm coming from a place of feeling replenished, feeling creative and feeling good. And, and you need rest regularly to right. do that. And you know what this has made me think of? There's some gurus out there and I'm thinking particularly yeah. of Gary V, I'm sure you're familiar with him. And he's all about <laughs> the Vanerchuk. grind. 
the grind and the hustle, mm-hmm. right, and putting in all that. And, you know, he has a lot of valuable things to say, but I really push back on this. You know, you have to grind for 30 years and go, go, go. That's just not Who sustainable to benefits? Me. Mm. Who benefits? Mm-hmm. That's a great time to insert that question. And also, I guess, and I, I – like Gary Vee. Yeah, like I yeah. like his personality. I think he's Same. cool. I definitely have listened to his books and everything. <laughs> but I also want to remember or ask people to remember Gary Vee has a different upbringing, different life, different mm-hmm. advantages. He's a white male. I believe if I remember correctly, his family like owned a, a wine shop yes, or whatever. Yeah. And that's how we got started. So it's like, okay, so his grind might be like, I worked really hard for, you know, this amount of time. And then I was able to hire people because I made a lot of money. But for someone who did not grow up with those types of resources or advantages or whatever, I just think that it's a different conversation for each person. So, you know, Gary Vee may have had that great experience and now he makes a millions and millions of dollars. And yeah, maybe he's still grinding, but his grind might be, I've hired 25 employees. Right. Yeah, you know, I appreciate that everyone has their own unique experience, but I also think it's important to remember that we cannot assume and translate our experiences to everyone else. That's why in the way that I like to coach people, it's not saying this is how you do it. It's like, here are tools for you to determine what is best for you. Mm. So, you know, no shade to Gary Vee, and I think he's cool, Mm. but I can't... I don't think I can relate to him in terms of how, what it took for me to build a business that I love. Mm-hmm. Also, how is Gary Vee defining success? Maybe mm-hmm. the grind is part of his happiness. Exactly. I don't know. Yeah. I hate that. Same. <laughs> me too. <laughs> I don't, I don't want to have 30 people working for me. I don't want to be, you know, on every social media channel. Every, I don't want that. So I think that we, it's so important for us to define our own for us to have our own definition of success Mm -hmm. and also be responsible enough to understand that when we're giving advice, not everyone has the same background or um, experience or access to resources. So it's not the same advice, you know, telling Gary Vee and telling, you know, like a kid from the ghetto who's never had anything to work hard. It's a totally different Mm -hmm. set of, it's this totally different advice. Yeah. And I I think advice can be dangerous sometimes, right? Because it's very prescriptive and, you know, you and I have very different life experiences. I can't just give you advice because it worked for me. It's going to work for you. So I love your take that you give people the tools to be able to figure out what's right for them. But I want to go back to rest. Something I hear all the time. I don't have time for that. I don't have time. What do you say to that? Whatever you believe is the truth. (laughs) You don't make time for it. You you don't have time for it. But you know, I I just believe that again, I um wanna take my own advice and say that not everyone is going to have the same ability to do the same things when it comes to rest. However, we can all get creative and understand what rest means. Rest may not mean going to the spa. Mm. Or it may not mean sleeping an extra hour. You might have three minutes Mm -hmm. to do something that's rejuvenating for yourself. Maybe it's like, I'm going to sit down and have a glass of water Mm -hmm. at my desk and close my eyes and take three deep breaths. I'm going to turn off my phone so I don't get notifications after 7 p.m. 
So I just think that we all have time for something. Right. It may look completely differently. And, it, and you know, the bubble baths and all that stuff that we see and the, you know, yeah, that's nice too. I mean, I like a good massage and a pedicure. Yeah, rub my feet. I <laughs> feel really great. But I also know that sometimes something like just playing, get on the floor and playing with my dogs is kind of the release that I might need. So I would say for people who don't have time, I would just ask them to really, how are they defining rest? What kind of rest do they need? And what could they do in like 30 seconds? I think we can all find about 30 seconds to do something. For me, it might be like rubbing my neck or it might be like, (sighs) or like my thing is I go to the gym. That is my mental and emotional rest because I can zone out and I love it. It's not my physical rest, (laughs) but it helps me get that physical rest because now I'm sore and I want to go to bed. But yeah, I just think we, we have to define the type of rest that we need and recognize that it doesn't have to be some giant action. It can be something very small. Yeah. And something small can make all the difference. Now, a question I like to end with on this podcast is the concept of freedom. Can you tell me what freedom means to you? Uh, I think you're going to make me cry on this one. I've never cried on a podcast. Um, I've been really exploring that. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) I've been really exploring that the last six months. And to me, the freedom really is in fully trusting and believing in myself from the little girl who always had the rules and people telling her what to do and what her relationship should look like and what her life should look like to being the person who just says, I don't care. I, this is what I want. This is what makes me happy and trusting my gut because every time I've truly trusted my gut, I am so happy and I feel so free And um, that's what freedom means to me, just really being able to fully trust and love myself so that I'm creating the life that feels good to me and not feeling bad about it. Yeah. So I love your take on freedom. And I just want to remind people that it's different for everybody, but I think it goes deeper than, oh, financial freedom. That could be part of it. But that's pretty surface level. There's a lot more to it. So I encourage people to think about that. What does freedom look like to you? What is most important to you? And how can you start moving towards that? Or why, I should say. We're not worried about the how. Why do you want to start moving towards that? And what is it you're moving towards? Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom and being so vulnerable. I didn't mean to make you cry, but thank you for showing up as your true self, right? That's your raw emotions. And- yeah. Well, that's a sign of a good podcast host. <laughs> I mean, you're making us cry like Oprah style <laughs> on the couch. So no, I, I enjoyed my time and you're such a smart cookie and you asked me some amazingly great questions. So this was such a joy to be on this podcast. And so I know the people who you coach and work with you are getting such an amazing experience. So kudos to you. And thank you so much for inviting me to be a guest. It's been a pleasure. If 
If this episode resonated with you at all, could I please ask that you share it with a friend who you think could get value from it? And whilst you're doing that, make sure you follow and subscribe to the podcast so that you never miss another episode. And whilst you're following or subscribing, please leave us um, a rating, preferably five stars, and also a written review. Doing each of these things is going to help this podcast reach more people and impact more lives, which is at the end of the day is what we're here to do. Thank you so much. I appreciate you. Remember, you matter, you're worth it, and you are so, so capable. Take care of yourself, and I'll see you next week.